During the seasons of Epiphany and Lent here at Kenilworth Union this year, Christine and I have been preaching the sermon series called The Unnamed, in which we're looking at many of the biblical figures who are very important to the story, but who never receive a name by the biblical authors. This has given us an excuse to revisit the vast sweep of God's history with God's people from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Easter. And today, a very well-known story from the life of Jesus for the first Sunday or the first day of Lent. John 8, early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before them all, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus just bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, Jesus straightened up and said to them, Let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her. And once again, he bent down to write on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the oldest, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one day at 7 o'clock in the morning, no less, Jesus is just settling in outside the temple gates when some of Jerusalem's leading citizens, John calls them scribes and Pharisees, some of Jerusalem's leading citizens drag a woman before him and they tell him that she has been caught in a compromising position, so to speak. Now, if those labels scribe and Pharisee sound obsolete to you, just read Lawyers and Puritans. In first century Palestine, a scribe was just a lawyer And Pharisees were church ladies with their pursed scowls and their scolding eyes. Jesus, say the lawyers and the church ladies, we caught this cheater red-handed in the very act, and they weren't kidding. Under first century Palestinian law, you see you had to be caught in the very act in order to earn the death penalty. The death penalty is obviously a very serious business, so the authorities wanted to make sure they got it right. So this can't have happened very often. You couldn't be caught with lipstick on your collar or smelling like your secretary's Chanel number 5. You couldn't be caught exiting a hotel room. You couldn't even be caught lying together in the same bed smoking a cigarette. You had to be caught in flagrante delecto, which means literally while the crime is still blazing. And you had to be seen doing this by two people. So this can't have happened very often. This is a rare event. And so this makes many New Testament scholars think that this woman was set up. She was entrapped, maybe by the husband she was cheating on. 
Maybe she made one of those classic cheater's errors like leaving an incriminating text message on her cell phone or whatever the first century Palestinian equivalent might have been. Perhaps the cheated husband hired a private investigator to follow her to the Hampton Inn. No one knows what happened to the masculine half of this little frolic. Thus it ever was and thus it ever shall be. Men can get away with murder or infidelity. They're like Teflon. Scandal just slides right off of them. It's not true with women very often. So there she stands in her shame and they say, Jesus, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? And Jesus, get this, he just bends down and starts doodling in the sand with his finger. No one knows what he wrote there. Maybe he was just buying time in order to think about an appropriate response. Or maybe he was signaling that he had no intention of participating in this unseemly charade staged by morality police who had no interest whatsoever in the law of Moses. By the way, did you notice that this is the only time in the New Testament when Jesus writes anything down? Jesus is the most important figure in human history. And yet, so far as we know, he wrote nothing down that outlived him. This is the only thing he wrote down, and he writes it down in the sand. Hours later, after everyone has gone home, the wind will wash it away. So whatever he's writing, the morality police have no intention of letting him ignore them any longer. And they said, Jesus, 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 pay attention. What are we going to do here? We got a problem. And then Jesus gives them their answer. Let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her. And you find out that this is one of the greatest forgiveness stories in the history of human literature. This is better than Arthur Dimsdale and Hester Prynne in The Scarlet Letter. This is better than Javert and Valjean and the bishop in Les Miserables. This is better than Beauty and the Beast. This is better than Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing or Measure for Measure. Here's a free recommendation. You don't even have to tip me for this. This is free. If this is one of your favorite stories about Jesus from the Gospel of John, and if you want to live into its richness a little more deeply, and if you think that in the 21st century this story of an almost stoning is obsolete and ancient, and if you think that this far in history's day enlightened people no longer stone adulterers to death, then see the film The Stoning of Sariah M., don't take the kids. It's a splendid but difficult film. But you'll find out what happens when a woman is accused of infidelity and there is no Jesus to step between her and her accusers. Let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her, says Jesus. There is no one like this man. There never has been and there never will be, not anytime, anywhere. He is as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Suddenly he turns the trap back on the entrappers and they're caught. They're absolutely baffled. They have nothing to say. And I love the way John talks about this. Notice what he says. Then he says, they all went away beginning with the oldest. 
the oldest leave first because they've lived the most life and know themselves the best. The years have taught them a humility unlearned by the young. And finally, there's only one guy standing there, a 19-year-old college sophomore who's just been born again. And finally, even he drops his rock and walks angrily away. But Jesus isn't finished with her yet, right? He's not going to leave her the way she is. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one? And she's so ashamed she can't even look him in the eye. She just whispers, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see what he's done for her, right? Jesus has forgiven her, but he has not excused her. He wants something in return. He wants a changed life. As the old saw has it, Jesus loves her just the way she is and too much to stay that way. This is the heart of the gospel. Is there anyone here who needs another chance like Jean Valjean or Beauty's Beast or Shakespeare's Claudio's? Jane Kenyon is one of my favorite poets. When she was a student at the University of Michigan, that's not why she's one of my favorites, but it doesn't hurt. When she was a student at the University of Michigan, Jane Kenyon fell in love with her poetry professor. When Jane Kenyon met him, he was already an accomplished poet in his own right. His name was Donald Hall. And so poet Jane Kenyon married Professor Donald Hall in 1972. He was 42 and she was 24. Jane Kenyon has written this beautiful poem called Notes from the Other Side. And I think one of the reasons it's such a beautiful poem is that Jane Kenyon knows about the other side. She spent the last year of her life battling a terrible case of leukemia. She was in and out of the hospital several times. She underwent a bone marrow transplant, which seemed like it might be successful at first. But several months later, the leukemia came back. And 11 days after they found the leukemia, she was dead, just shy of her 48th birthday. With Donald Hall's help, with her husband's help, in that last year of her life, she compiled her last and finest collection of selected poetry. Notes from the Other Side is the last poem in that last collection, written six days before she died. This poem comes from the threshold of the other side. I divested myself of despair and fear when I got here. Now there is no more catching of one's own eye in the mirror. There are no bad books, plastic, insurance premiums, and of course, no illness. Contrition does not exist, nor gnashing of teeth. No one howls when the first clod hits the casket. The poor we no longer have with us, and our calm hearts strike only the hour. And God, as promised, turns out to be mercy clothed in light. 
someday on the last of all our tomorrows when our wanderings have ended, we will all shuffle humbly towards the throne of grace, carrying our proud accomplishments and our sorry failures, our brave victories and our timid defeats, our heroic nobility and our embarrassing missteps. And when we get to the throne of grace, whom will we find there? We find this one who writes languidly with his finger in the sand. And we discover that God, as promised, turns out to be mercy clothed in light. Oh, by the way, St. John never gives this woman a name in his gospel. But today, many New Testament scholars are convinced that her name was Mary, just like Jesus' own mom. And this Mary comes from a little fishing village on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. And so ever since, we've called her Mary Magdalene. After this little story, Mary Magdalene followed Jesus across the length and breadth of the Palestinian countryside, from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back again, over and over again. And she was there in that garden on that first Easter morning to see the risen Jesus with her own eyes. She was the first one. <laughs>